Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast for Unheralded News and Pharisee Watch, we're going to visit the presidential debates, the last debate, in case you missed the debate last night between President Obama and Republican candidate Mitt Romney. I guess you could say you're probably lucky. But our stalwart leader here, Chuck Carlson, did wade his way through the entire broadcast. And he's written another, what I would say, a brilliant observation of what they were actually doing because as any reasonable person who is not a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat or a a true blue Republican would see there was almost no difference between these two men. They are both poised for war. So I'd like to read Chuck's piece here. It's entitled Foreign Affairs Debate Buying Christian Zionist Votes, and then we'll talk about it. Last night, the debate on foreign affairs was hosted by CBS former anchor Bob Schieffer and watched by hundreds of millions. I had no choice but to watch. It was everywhere. Most board watchers may not have realized that the number one target of both candidate Romney and President Obama is the same 30 to 40 million voters, the Christian right. How can one tell what they are thinking? Both recited their allegiance to the insignificant, non-voting state of Israel. I think I counted six times for Obama and five times for Romney before the moderator improperly raised the subject of Israel. Bob Schieffer dropped a bowling ball with a question that could not be honestly answered except to say, quote, I love Israel, right or wrong, unquote. Schieffer asked, quote, Do you consider an attack on Israel to be an attack on America, unquote? Attack? What kind of attack? By whom? And what is their cause? Where in our laws or the Constitution is the president given authority to extend the boundaries of the United States to go to war for a foreign state? This question is really asking both candidates for president if Christian Zionists can trust them to treat Israel as a religious symbol, a sort of god of the Christian Zionist sect. Both answered a resounding yes, an attack on Israel is an attack on America. It is no secret why both answer thus. Obama and Romney consider the 30 or 40 million Christian Zionists to be the swing vote. So the rest of us are largely ignored. Only Christian Zionists think Israel today is in God's plan of 3,000 years ago. Neither contender demanded war, nor did either say they would actively resist it. But sadly, we face an instant replay of the 1991 war in Iraq. You will note from all the debates and interviews that neither political candidate promises to keep us out of that what is called a quote-unquote war in Iran. For the most part, they ignore it. Both compete for how 
cruel they can be to the Iranian people. Obama told us he had put on, quote, crippling sanctions on Iran, unquote, and he was not through. All cards were still, quote, on the table, unquote. Romney said he would outdo Obama with even more harsh sanctions. Neither mentions that it is the ordinary people in Iran who are being crushed by sanctions. How very cruel and brazen they are. They think we are not capable of seeing the suffering so far from home. But of a war itself, their silence tells us that neither will resist a remote-controlled annihilation of Iran and a silent push-button occupation by a massive army of highly paid civilian contractors, a true mercenary army. And their lavishing over Israel seems to tell us they would support Israel's attack on Iran. After all, if an attack on Israel is to them as an attack on the U.S., it is not a stretch to say Israel's war is our war, no matter who starts it or where it is fought. We Americans live in a war-based economy. Those who run it need war for personal gain. Both Romney and Obama know they are being pushed to war by those who provide the billions for their elections, which is why neither condemns it. We must talk about war, for our gasoline prices are the barometer of it. I hope you will read my appeal 22 years ago when we Christian Americans were being pushed into what became the first annihilation of the Iraqi people for their oil. At that time, gasoline was about a dollar per gallon. My letter to fellow members of my Baptist church, yes, its members are predominantly Christian Zionists, on December 26, 1990, and the, we have a, a, a hypertext link uh, here that will be included uh, on the uh, intro page. Our enemy is not Islam. It is those who promote war as an economic policy, a super, quote-unquote, stimulus at a time when all the previous quantitative easements have become the drug of choice in our national system. The economic stimulus equates to crystals of meth under the tongue that no longer work, doping us to think war is necessary for our survival. I am for understanding and friendship between faiths where men are honorable and stand for peace. I am also for challenging any religion that puts up with war, especially Christ followers who have been deceived by believing Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecies. The defining question in the conflict between war and Christianity remains, who would Jesus bomb? War is now a scientific, remote-controlled slaughter of weaker foes with large resources. It has become our bankers and politicians' last remaining tool to control our faltering economy. It cannot make life better for us, only for themselves, and it makes us more controllable. War propagandizers' job is to vilify Islam. They deny and ignore the undeniable fact that Islam honors Jesus while following its own faith. We are being prepped to annihilate Iran, much as we are accepting the very real starvation of Gaza as we accept the annihilation of a generation of youth in Iraq starting in 1991. We need not to allow it because 
we now understand it. As for we hold these truths, we continue on at exposing Christian Zionism to those who are caught up in it or influenced by it. No doubt many Christian Zionists will read this letter and you are invited to introduce them to Project Straight Gate and we want them to know we do not think that they are aliens from some other world. They include our closest friends and loved ones and associates. We have learned how to deal with Christian Zionists over the some eight years. Some of us were among their number, and we continue to learn day by day. Chuck, that was an arrow that hit the bullseye. Hopefully this will be picked up far and wide, thinking people will see that there really is no difference between these two candidates. There's one question that, there are a number of questions, of course, that I'm sure you want to bring up, but there's something that I want to bring up, and that is that I've taken this this I've made this assertion that the United States is capable of destroying Iran. And, of course, Iran naturally says the United States is not capable of destroying it. It's capable of fighting back and defending itself. And there are also all kinds of people who make it a business to tell us how powerful Iran is and how dangerous they are for the very purpose of making people think that war is justifiable. But for those who think that the U.S. military does not have the ability to totally destroy and annihilate Iran, I think we have only to look back at Iraq. When we started to hear the war drums beating in 1989 and 1990 for the war in Iraq, a lot of people said, well, they're very strong and we're going to, this is going to be extremely expensive for us. And there was questions raised as to whether we actually could destroy Iraq. But it turned out that, well, Iran and Iraq had a 10-year war in which they fought to a stalemate. The United States effectively destroyed Iraq's military in about 31 days or less, starting in January 1991. We introduced at that time all kinds of new weapon systems that we didn't know they had. One of the most uh, was horrible of these, which made it possible to destroy all of Iraq's tanks in one engagement was depleted uranium rounds that fired this waste uranium material that was so heavy it penetrated tanks and one shot from a U.S. tank would destroy Iraq's tanks almost every time. So we had all of these weapons. Bunker busters were introduced, the Warthog uh, weapon system, all kinds of new things that had been on the testing board for years uh, and it had been quietly built up. And, of course, I personally think, and I hope the Iranians don't take this as an insult to them, but I, I personally think nobody can stand up to the military might of the United States. We've spent this enormous amount of money building this capability, and we don't even know what has been, besides drones, of course, that have the ability to fire missiles without even being occupied, but there are all kinds of other weapon systems that have been built at huge cost in, in the last 10 years that have, that have not been used. I don't know what they are, but I do believe that the U.S. has a plan and that they are capable of rendering Iran a wasteland in a very short period of time, and there's nothing Iran really can do about it uh, significantly. So that's why we... Or in a long time. I mean, they could have as... It extended, you know, we've been in now uh, Afghanistan for over 10 years. Let's go back to that. I just wanted to make a point back to the 
first Gulf War in 1991 to talk about that we didn't know the capabilities of Saddam Hussein. Well, in the second Gulf War in 2003, we had these claims from the government that there were weapons of mass destruction, and we know those were all all fabrications. Back in 1991, you could argue that maybe we didn't know. However, the U.S. worked with Saddam Hussein in the 80s under under the Reagan administration in military training, delivering weapons. So we would have had a very good idea of their capabilities when we went in there in 1991. So a lot of that, to me, appeared like it was another smokescreen just to get us to accept the war back then. And we did the same kind of smokescreen in 2003. And fortunately, a few people in the United States have seen through that smokescreen, but the bulk of the Republicans and Democrats, unfortunately, get that patriotic flag-waving, support our troops in their field of vision, and that's all they can see. Right. Well, no politician would say we're we're going in to destroy an enemy that uh, is not capable of fighting back. Uh, they're um, only a tenth of our size or a twentieth. Uh, their military is only a minute fraction of ours. They're so far behind us that it's no contest. That would not be said because that would discourage people from wanting to be a bully. So our our American people don't really want to be bullies. Uh, they want to beat up on somebody that deserves it. And so that's the idea of convincing everyone that Iran is really a powerful, strong military country. And we need to bring democracy, because that's been the big selling point, is we're going to bring democracy to these places. In my uh, early statement, I said that hundreds of millions of people would watch. Uh, that's that's almost like one of these uh, political exaggerations. I noticed the figure today, it was 59 million so it wasn't, uh, or maybe it was 69, but it was not quite 100. It was well under 100 million. So my statement that that hundreds of millions watched it probably is true because it's probably been watched all over the world by now, but uh, it was not directly broadcast to more than 59 million people. That's quite still quite a bunch. Yeah. But, well, no, it, it, that's true when you say uh, because other straight. parts of the world. I, I didn't watch the debate. But I went online and read The Guardian. There were some interesting articles from The Guardian in the U.K. about the debate and how there was little difference between the two. They did mention the issue of Israel. And when I was looking at the debate, as an interesting aside here, because a lot of this focuses around the state of Israel, there was a very interesting article entitled in The Guardian, Israeli polls find a majority in favor of apartheid policies. Well, it turns out that there was an opinion poll done by a new Israel fund, I'm not sure where that is, if it's out of the United States, that interviewed 503 Israeli Jewish people and uh, on a number of, of questions. And uh, briefly, uh, here's just a few comments. More than two-thirds of Israeli Jews say that 2.5 million Palestinians living in the West Bank should be denied the right to vote if the area was annexed by Israel, in effect endorsing an apartheid state, according to an opinion poll reported in Haritz. Now, this is an Israeli paper. Three out of four are in favor of segregated roads for Israeli 
and Palestinians in the West Bank, and 58% believe Israel already practices apartheid against Palestinians, the poll found. A third want Arab citizens within Israel to be banned from voting in elections to the country's parliament. Almost six out of ten Jews would be given preference to Arabs in government jobs. 49% say Jewish citizens should be treated better than Arabs. 42% would not want to live in the same building as Arabs. And the same number do not want their children going to school with Arabs. Now, there was a very good commentary, opinion piece, by Gideon Levy in the uh, Haritz magazine. And here's what he said in part. Israelis themselves are openly, shamelessly, and guiltlessly defining themselves as nationalistic racists. It's good to live in this country, most Israelis say, not despite its racism, but because of it. If such a survey were released about the attitude to Jews in a European state, Israel would have raised hell. When it comes to us, the rules don't apply, so says Mr. Gideon Levy. And this concept of racism really, by these Israelis, extends to our Christian Zionists that you know are predominantly residing here in the, in the United States because they have the racist concept that God gave the land to Israel, with many of them believing that the Palestinians, the indigenous people there, have no right to to live there at all, that they should be removed from the land. So we have two racist entities, if you will. Not, not everyone in Israel, uh, certainly not, uh, thank God. God for people like Gideon Levy and and the opposition there that are not proud of what their fellow Israelis are doing to the Palestinians in both in the West Bank and in Gaza. Tom, again, people have trouble understanding why Israel acts the way it does. And, uh, of course, what one needs to really understand is that Benjamin Netanyahu and the leaders of Israel are living very well and doing very well. But the state of Israel is in a deep recession and has been for a long time. It's getting worse, and most Israelis know it. And you have revolts in Israel of all kinds against the system that's developed there, mainly because they have caused their own bankruptcy by being constantly at war, just as we are doing in the process now. But Israel has spent a much larger part of its gross national product on defense even than the U.S., And in spite of the gifts it's been given, it still has ground its way into debt and is in an extremely bad condition uh, financially. Israel really needs a big war. And from that, they would be able to get countless gifts from the United States and maybe from others and, of course, control their own people better in the course of war. So their leaders are campaigning for war really on the same reason ours are, they want a war because it's part of their economic policy to have one. And it gives them, we've written much about this, won't go into it now, but it gives them the opportunity to control their citizens. That is why this effort to destroy Iran is so aggressive and so dangerous, because we know that both the American government and the Israeli government believe they need it. We don't, of course, believe they need it. We think we're better off solving our problems, but they do. 
Well, thank you, Chuck. And I guess in closing here, what I would ask anyone that listens to this, whether you're a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, or a sincere atheist, ask the question to somebody, who would Jesus bomb? And see what they say. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.